You're listening to the Fit for Duty Podcast. Functional fitness and nutrition taking you to above average. Here's your hosts, Matt Hoffman and Ray Martin. What's going on, gang? Matt Hoffman with you as always with me, supporting Mr. Ray Martin, my much better, more conversational half. Nah, nah. Ray, what's up, it's, brother? It's equal parts, equal parts. Not a whole lot. It nice is, change of scenery for the day. It is. It is fantastic to be back. We haven't uh, recorded a show in quite a few weeks now, so it's fantastic to be back. Yeah, I guess it would all be a change of scenery since we've been off the mics here for a yeah, few minutes. No doubt, man. But no doubt at all. Life gets, uh, life gets in the way, and you actually have priorities away from work and here on occasion, so yeah, no doubt. No worries. Um, you know the way things are going with the housing project and all that. Things that I've got going in my life, it's uh, it's been a challenge to get it together. But I'm excited and ready to get back in the flow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's nice being back on the ones and twos. That's right. That's right. Very special episode. This is yeah. number twenty. Yeah. Episode number two zero. And with that, we're bringing in a our first guest. I guess you could say our first interview or our first guest. Someone this, else to BS with. That's right. This fellow is a member of New Hanover County Fire Rescue, just like myself and you are. Has a resume that could fill up a two-hour PowerPoint presentation when it yeah. comes to the world of physical <laughs> fitness and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll get into that with him and kind of bounce some stuff off of him. And I'm sure we'll... He's been kind enough to slum it with us today. That's right. That's right. With that, Mr. Kevin Clark. Kevin, what is up, my brother? Hey, man. How you doing? Doing great. How That's, are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Good, man. Appreciate you coming out on the show and appreciate you spending some time with me and Ray today. Always nice to hear different point of views and yes. different perspectives when it comes to the world of uh, fitness as well as how fitness and well-being pertains to our job in the fire service. Um, <clears throat> I spoke a little bit just a few seconds ago about your resume. Tell us, say, uh, tell us a little bit about you, man. I always hate those questions. It's all right, man. Keep it as short or as long yourself. as you want. Yeah, um, I'll give you the bridge version and then we that'll can, work. Whatever. We can get into deeper uh, details as the <laughs> afternoon goes on. Sure. Yeah. Um, Ashland University for undergraduate did the exercise science there. Um, did that joint in three years. Um, worked in <clears throat> Georgia a little bit in between my summers for Quest Nutrition and Athletics. Um, left there, went to Denison University after I graduated, worked in collegiate sports there, D3 school, um, had an excellent mentor there, learned a lot more than I could from a book there. Fantastic. Um, realized that my expensive piece of paper was an awesome foundation, but really the learning took place in the trenches. Um, so there's the carryover into the fire department. <laughs> no oh, doubt. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, which is a wonderful experience. I mean, great people to learn from there. Um, while I was doing some, some work in there and left there to do further my education even more. Um, at the time, I thought that was the rest of my life, so I really wanted to make sure I had a foot up. So I went and did uh, graduate school at the University of Akron, worked under another wonderful mentor who you'll see later in my career and possibly later on in my life again, but uh, worked for football up there, D1 school, which was nice. Got to see that experience compared to how things were in D3. Um, completely different. I mean, absolutely night and day. <clears throat> um, and then leaving there, I went to MASH Elite down in North Carolina. That's my first time down here. Um, private sector, did all that for a while, and 
bounced from there to NC State, another D1 school, did collegiate sports again, worked with the same coach from grad school, was now the assistant director down at NC State, and uh, between him and the other coaches and his boss, uh, Bob Alejo, ungodly amount of information flew through that way every day, and it was such an excellent experience to be there and to see that side of things bouncing back and forth between D3 and D1, private sector, back into collegiate again. Um, and then left from there, went to, had an opportunity to be a civilian contractor with the Army. Um, That's pretty neat. We'll get into that a little bit more yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> had that opportunity because of one of my best friends and um, fraternity brothers back in undergraduate, and then my roommate when I was at Denison, um, ended up going out there to Oklahoma to work at Fort Sill. Um, he's the one who invited me out there to be coach with the Army. Um, so I left NC State, went out to Oklahoma. Uh, did that for a while and would still be there if it wasn't for all that stuff with, you know, non-essential personnel, furloughs hitting, and um, we were more effective than anything they had going on. Um, statistics prove it, and they just cut us, you know. We gotcha. Under contract in the military, but I'd still be there if I could be. Love that job. Sure. Absolutely wow. Um, left there to come back to Kernersville and then uh, had my first head position as a strength conditioning coach and um, at Carolina Athletic Development, worked in the PT clinic there. Got a different view um, than what I was used to in the private sector and learned a lot. And that's when I first, I guess, on this side of things, did my toe into strength conditioning with tactical populations outside the Army, of course, but I mean with the firefighter side of things, um, non-military. Um, and then through that avenue, went to end up going to Fire Academy in Wilson, and um, Wilson, man, that's right up the road from me. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loved it there. Loved it there. <clears throat> and then a serendipitous series of events, and here I am in Wilmington. Nice. Well, fantastic. We uh, we definitely uh, love to have you on the department. You're a huge benefit to us, whether or not uh, the right people have seen that yet. It's, uh, yeah. you know, time will tell, but we notice it, and yeah. we appreciate everything that you've done and all your accomplishments. Your accomplishments are truly yeah, astounding. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, definitely something that. to. Yeah, how, uh, well, from my point of view, they are. Yeah. How um how did you get into the whole idea of uh or what made you want to pursue like strength and conditioning through uh through college? Um, I actually didn't want to go to college at all. Uh, huh. When I, in high school, you're in good company. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do that at all. I thought it was a big racket. I would pay a bunch of money for a piece of paper, and then you do something else. Yeah. Which funny enough i did exactly that just more expensive long term <laughs> sure sure uh, no i wanted to my first i wanted to go be a diesel technician at wyotech in pennsylvania my mom talked me out of it um i applied to one college i got in that was a uh, legacy at ashland my mom went there and my stepmom went there and a few other family members and i visited it and it was wonderful private um, d2 school and had an excellent experience there so awesome i got there and i had no idea i just you know registered for college and started taking some classes and i was like oh you can study the human body and that's a major yeah it's not just for fun anymore yeah you know so <laughs> i was back in six and um i went to the first couple weeks there i was just taking gen ed classes um, I actually went into college almost a sophomore because I did college ops in high school. Um, so I had most of my general stuff knocked out. So I was like, you know, intro to phys and stuff like that. I just picked those up just to take classes until I figured it out. And the first month I noticed in the fitness center, there were these uh, guys and girls down there just like. Co-ed. Yeah. Moving massive amounts of weight. 
um, in the weight room, and I was like, what are those cats doing? And I realized they had a powerlifting team, and I kind of got sucked into that, because um, I'd never spent... I come from a very rural, small town in Ohio. Like, we didn't have weight... I mean, we had weight rooms, but, like, I was working on farms and grocery stores, and yeah, sure. pay the bills, okay. you know? Yeah. Um, so I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, this is powerlifting. I was like, what's that? You know, so I never spent time in a gym, really. We didn't have time to do that sports, you know, yeah. like money, equipment, whatever. Um, I was like, hey, I want to do that. And then I realized that most of them were in exercise science. I was like, hey, what's that? And then I was just like, this makes sense. Because yeah. you can look at, I loved engines and fixing things. And I was like, oh, look, the human body is... One big engine. One big engine. No doubt. Systematic approach to stuff. I'm like, no doubt. I understand that. So. That's cool how that uh, comparison really resonated with you and how you yeah. put things together with your mind. Because, I mean, just like you just said, the human body obviously is like one big engine and uh, you got all the moving it parts. Breaks. That's right. You got it all the moving parts. Fixed. That's right. You got all the moving parts and things that have to work all together to make the engine run efficiently. Did you have any background like athletics was coming up in high school, college? Like, did you play any sports or anything? I played sports year-round if I could. I wasn't any yeah. good um, pretty much at anything. I just enjoyed being on teams. I enjoyed oh, being nice. part of something bigger than myself, but I was average at pretty much everything. Um, gotcha. And then I was in powerlifting in college and ended up you know, having some state records and uh, contested for some national championships, and they were just really dove into it full. But That's awesome. What was uh, what was your total whenever you were competing? Um, I think – Best squat back in the day was like six thirty three. Christ, bench was four seventeen. Six thirty three, something like that. Uh, the that was some incredible God numbers. Oh my. Uh, maybe not seemed like for too many people in the weightlifting. I feel industry, like my total but, yeah. is like what your squat was. <laughs> those are uh, those are some tremendous numbers, dude. It's really yeah. impressive. It was, it's crazy because then like uh, going to Denison and Akron and Mash, like everyone I ran with was stronger than I was, and it was like I never really. It was cool to hit big numbers in the gym, but like my big numbers were mostly other people's warm-ups, and I was yeah. like, this isn't strong. And well, that's I, a, that's probably some of the best advice, though, is like if you want to get better at anything, be around people that are better than it than you. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. That's the only way to get better. I mean, oh, yeah. just like you said earlier, you learn everything in the trenches. I mean, you're not learning it from people with – I mean, there's things to learn from people that have less experience, but uh, – you know, you're going to get the most value from the people that have been doing this for a longer amount of time and that are, have been doing it better for longer. Oh, yeah. So. And it was one of those things that even still, like, if you're the strongest person, smartest person, whatever, in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, you need to be in a different room. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Yeah. And I realized that, and it's a little funny story. Um, when I was at Denison, the head football coach and the head strength coach and I were sitting down at lunch one day, and I just hit a PR back then on a front squat. I think a front squat in, like, 415, something like that. I don't know. And I was like, at the time, I was like jacked up. I was like, sweet. I just smashed that. And I was like, I thought I was full of myself back then, you know. And I was sitting there talking to football coach, and I was like, my front squad just smashed what your Division three football players back squat. He said, and the head football coach, Jack Hayden, was like, yeah, you're fired. And I went, oh. What? Wow. And he was being sarcastic. Yeah. Sure. The, the, he, the point he was trying to make to me is, you are now strong, my players are not. You need to make it your priority to make them strong. Sure. And at that point in my life, I was like, this guy's right. Yeah. And it made me rethink what I was doing. Like, I was getting hell strong and, like, having a great time doing it, learning stuff. But then I really was like, that is not my focus. Right. And then you look at stuff we're doing now. And it's like, yeah. It's cool to, like, know everything, but you got to make sure yeah. that other people have it too. Sure. Exactly. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I mean, a. A wealth of knowledge. I mean, it's nice to have and everything, but if you can't convey that knowledge to 
anyone else, especially in this line of work. I mean, what what are you doing for anyone else? Right. It's all about how you can articulate the knowledge and information that you've uh, gained throughout the years. And just like you said, with learning the best stuff and learning the, the quality of material that you've learned came from the trenches, uh, it's, it's perfect correlation and perfect carryover to the fire service. You can learn all you want in the books, but you get smart from the streets, from being down there, from dragging hoses and yeah. putting in your time. That's where you learn. Putting the, it from uh, mind to hand is where you it. actually get the, the most value from any information. Sure. I mean, it's just like, you know, anything else. I mean, you're building uh, motor patterns, essentially, in sure. this line of work of, all right, if I do this over and over again, and I'm, I will find better ways of doing it, more efficient ways of doing it, safer ways. And, you know, you, that's where you get a bulk of your knowledge that you end up passing on to other people um all that stuff that you read in the book yeah it's we've all worked with people that can spout that off but can't put it from page to hand sure so sure usually the the best people that you're going to work with are the people that are going to put their focus in making you better and it seems like that's exactly what that job entailed it's like yeah i'm glad you can do it can you get other people to do it (laughs) all right what's um don't want to switch gears too fast but what's one the biggest hurdle and two, what's the biggest benefit to what you've done in the past, Kevin, and how it relates to the fire service, both uh, both ends of the spectrum? One being, what's the biggest hurdle taking your knowledge and what you've done with your life in the past and the carryover into the fire service? Because we're, we're a unique occupation. We're a unique family because mm-hmm. that's essentially what you have now joined. Uh, you haven't been in the fire service all that long, but... You, you get the concept. It's the, it's the team outlook that you were talking about, how you were average in sports and all that, but it was the team and being a part of something that was bigger than yourself. That's what the fire service really is all about. We're all a family and what we can do to make this all fit together and run the best way possible. What are some of the hurdles that you've seen as far as, you know, just in your short amount of time, I say short amount of time, it's two years. It's not really that short of amount of time, but when you talk about a career, it's short. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's some of the hurdles that you've seen as far as taking your knowledge and what you know with physical training and just knowing the human body and how firefighters, how firefighters make that connection? The biggest hurdle, um, not just in firefighting, I mean, it's directly applicable to firefighting, but at every single job I was at, whether it was private sector, D1, D3, the army, anything, um, when you step into a situation being semi-new is there's already a culture. There's already a paradigm in place. Sure. And the rich um, traditions of fire service especially, firemen are typically very, very, very stubborn and hard-headed. I could have... No, we're not not agree more. Exactly. exactly. No, but I mean... We would like to see lots of type A personalities, hard chargers, you know, pipe hitters. That's what you want. But then you get those guys that think they know, or women, I'm not trying to pigeonhole or whatever, but... You can use whatever pronouns you want. Yeah, but <laughs> fire service people, um, BPC and all that, but... Uh, well, um, yeah. Correct. <laughs> Sorry, it's the county policy. I got it in green, homie. Oh, well, you can get it out uh, now. Yeah, you can, there's get no, that out right here. No policies at Casa de Rey. So, for me, it's... Um, what I've learned, especially, I was like going from the when I switched gears from Denison to um, D1 when I worked at Akron. I brought a bunch of experience and what I thought at the time was knowledge um, to these dudes that uh, I was working with. 
and I realized it took me a while to gain traction there um, because these guys didn't know me. They didn't care what I knew. They just wanted to know that I cared about them and helping them reach their goals. Um, I'm a big, 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 big reader. Um, how, how did you how, how did you articulate that with those guys? How, how could you present that that point to let them know that you were there for them? How did you keep the, the morale focused on the people versus what Kevin, the trainer, could could do? I mean, that was the big thing. Was it wasn't about me. Um, I don't care if people remember me at all. It has nothing to do with me as, as being Kevin Clark or having um, these expensive pieces of paper or this alphabet behind my name. It, then none of that matters unless you show these people that you're there for their bench, best interest. Simon Sinek, I don't know if you ever read his Start With Why. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. That dude is fantastic, very, man. very intelligent. Leaders eat last. Oh, yeah. Love that Fantastic, stuff. man. I wish, yeah. I wish a lot of the people in this area would read that book. <laughs> I get what you're hitting at. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Simon fan. And Big I, time. I think if we could convey that into what we're doing now, we would get so much further so much faster. Oh, absolutely. Um my big thing was even when I was there and then when I moved on to every single job, when you're new, people don't care what you know until you show them that you care about them enough to have their best interests in mind because you're not there to, to inflate or pump up yourself. You're there to make sure that they have whatever's going to keep them safe is priority number one. Do not hurt your athletes. Um, as firemen, we are athletes and people don't want to view that, but it's yeah. reality. <laughs> it I mean, we're, what you, what's the <laughs> definition they're giving us now? Tactical athletes yeah. or whatever. It is. Yeah. Tactical athletes. Yeah. But sure. And the thing that I struggle with now, especially being new and looking at how we look at financial appropriations, um, as far as not just our brass, but anyone, you look at appropriating money for, let's say a truck, um, you know, an engine, you put out a couple hundred thousand dollars and then you schedule your preventive maintenance right away and all that mess. But you look at a 30 year career man that, is invaluable over 30 years compared to a piece of apparatus, but you are not putting in the time or development to keep that person at the top of their abilities. And you are automatically wasting your most precious commodity. Yeah. Oh my. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to point. That's a whole boatload of irony in there. Oh my. No, I love it. Uh, Oh yeah. I I love it. You see it regularly. uh, And (laughs) it's so amazing, Ray, to have somebody, uh, so sees the same thing. Well, relatively new to this, and yeah, sees the big picture. It's, and it's crazy. Th- and I totally agree uh, with the point you made. the The major difference between the people and the apparatus is the apparatus will, when you send it to preventative maintenance, it does what it's supposed to do, provided you have a great contractor and they take care of it. And like when you send it off, like you're expecting A, B, and C to be done. Uh, when you're dealing with people, though, it seems like getting them to like you can give a lot of people all the tools that they want or all the tools they need, but getting them to actually use them because I haven't seen too many departments like ours where the workout facilities and the resources available to them are as nice as we have it. I mean, there's some places that beg, borrow and steal to get anything that they want and they're ecstatic to have it and they'll sit there, they'll take care of it. They'll use it most importantly. And you get some of the facilities that we've got through throughout our department and people would, just as soon let all that equipment just sit there and not be used and not take care of themselves. I mean, I guess the the point that I'm trying to make is what we've seen, or I'm, at least what I've seen, is some money is appropriated, probably, you know, not as much as could be, but the the return on your investment is largely dependent upon who you're investing it in. Whereas if you invest it in the apparatus, it's it's a machine. Like it it doesn't have a conscious. It doesn't have its own free will, and it doesn't you know talk shit to you yeah. whenever you tell it you need to 
that needs to exercise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, just like you said, it's an object that you kind of you control or the brass controls or whatever. But the people themselves, the brass can make recommendations and whatnot, and peers can make recommendations. But it, it boils down to the person and the individual whether or not they are going to apply these things. So that being a hurdle that you've had to overcome or that you're seeing that you're working through now in the fire service, what are some uh, what are some of the easy things? Quick commercial break. Hey, folks, you want to know how you can support the Fit for Duty movement? Simple. Go to www.actcaps.com. Pick yourself up a hat or a T-shirt. The hats, any style that you choose, they'll put the Fit for Duty patch on it. At checkout, enter Fit for Duty in the promo code for a sweet discount. Also, if you have any questions or topic ideas, submit those. You can submit them at Instagram, at Fit for Duty Media, or you can email the host, fitfordutymedia at gmail.com. Obviously, coming from the military and stuff like that, you kind of can flow into the fire service fairly easily since seems how we're a so-called paramilitary type organization when it's convenient for us to be that way, obviously. Yeah. But um, what, what, are some, what are some things that have been easy? Did the people accept you pretty well? Did they accept the message pretty well? Uh, obviously, you weren't you, – I mean, you were hired to do the same job that Joe Blow off the street does. You weren't hired to be – Kevin Clark with the PhDs and the MSGs and all that, you know what I'm saying? You weren't hired to be Kevin Clark for that. You were hired as Kevin Clark to be, uh, I mean, that's right, a tailboard dumpster driver, uh, you know, fireman, just like we all were. So I I guess, how do you reconcile the knowledge that you have with the expectation that a lot of people have for people coming into a department to just sit there and shut up? I know what it should be. Uh, yeah. Right. Big difference, I guess, between our current situation and the military. Um, whether we worked with such a large volume of people when I was with the military that it didn't matter if they believed in you or not, their their higher ups believed in you. In my experience with them, that was sh- very short term. So I'm just talking from mine. Sure. I mean, I'm sure other people would be like, "Dude, you're wrong," and that's fine. Um, my experience was if they believed in you or not. Someone in the chain of command believed, so everyone believed. Whether they did or didn't, they believed, because that made us effective. Because that's how they work as a team. Whether you believe or not, you believe, and you become effective. Right. Do you think they've made more more of an investment in their people than traditionally the fire department has? I believe so. I mean, they did with us. What we were doing was a pilot program, so we were brand new. Um we just happened to be extremely effective at what we did because what we did mattered and we knew that and we knew that they were going to support us no matter what we did. We knew that when we right. went into work and we said, you need to do this, these are your extract prescriptions, whatever it was, say, I need those soldiers pulled out of class to do this, it happened. There wasn't questions, there wasn't, let's have a meeting about this, let's talk to, no. You said, <laughs> I need this, that happened. And, and in that situation, it seems like you could treat to a certain extent your your people like a resource like we would say a, a fire engine sure. um, because at that point like they had to listen like they had to make the corrections that were being prescribed they had to come back in a better condition than uh, oh, yeah. what what they left in oh yeah um, the thing was that even though like let's say in a day you worked with 10 soldiers outside of normal PT because you worked with hundreds at that point let's say you worked on a one-on-one basis with 10 people now all 10 of those people were told the same thing you were going to see this MAT team which was musculoskeletal action team whatever you were going to see them this is the time you're going to go see them and they were told this now 
at that point, it becomes the individual's responsibility to know they have an opportunity compared to being forced to do something. You're not voluntold. You're, this is an opportunity to work with this individual who knows more than I do, and then we can work together to get where I need to be because that's they're here for me, and they knew that. And <clears throat> five out of ten, whatever the numbers were, we were 88% more effective than anything the Army had done at that point. How are you judging your effectiveness by, uh, like, they injuries had, or uh, lack of, of yeah. ah. they had an amazing amount of data collection with what we were doing which was really nice to back it up but then we took this all to them and this is all over the country there were small teams put in place at several strategic locations and that was way beyond anything i knew i showed up and did my job um that was on the political side and that was in motion long before i was there it's long before or after after i left but they take the data they had we when we did our work we reported our data they took the data somewhere else someone else's job was put that data together they passed to the right people whatever at the end of our program they said this is our data they're extremely effective and they said oh okay well that's not in budget gone but the people that saw what we did that weren't in D.C., because that's where we report to. I was hired by a, a firm out of D.C. Sure. I never met them, never, you know, I have no idea who my boss was. Sure. I worked for the Army. But <clears throat> to look back at the data and say, okay, you guys are more effective than anything we've ever done in history, but you no longer have a job. And I was like, okay, this sucks. You know, I mean, I was making great money and something that I really wanted to do and felt very important doing as far as, like, this matters. And they've taken a lot of pieces of what we did and added it to what they're doing now and especially like what they're doing with special forces and things that nature because i have several people that i used to work with that do special force contracting now what they do with them is awesome general population um bct or basic training what they do with them is not in the same world as what they do with special forces but what we did with them made a difference um and that was really cool to see that you go in there and so you have those people come in um and they, some people go through the motions, some people asked why am I doing this, and then you could connect with them and make that connection, then they understood it, and then when they come back, they know why they're doing this movement, or know why they're there to see you and not in class, or whatever they're supposed to be at, you know, rack time, whatever. <clears throat> so that was the difference, is that even though they all were made to go there, some people invested in themselves outside of, of just having to be there, which is, I think, one of the hurdles we will approach, because we don't have that unanimous belief of we matter yet. I think we'll get there. Yeah. Um, it's just taking the paradigm of what exists to what could possibly be the future, to me, is exciting um, to know that we have an opportunity here. And if you play it right, really could matter and really could change. Now, this is, uh, you know, I don't know how things have been. And to me, that's better because I don't have to follow the stigma of, no, that's not what County Fire does. It's like, that's cool. I'm not what County Fire was. I'm what County Fire is. Right. Well, we're talking yeah. more on a grander scale than County yeah. Fire. We're talking the fire service oh, yeah. in general all the way around and kind of the, the culture of where the fitness and all that has gone. So, Do you uh, think that that was a mindset as far as you know people actually caring, believing in everyone else? Uh, do you think that was a top-down mindset or a bottom-up? Both. Really? Oh, absolutely. Um, and in, as far as like where it started, you know, like was that? You talking about just army or any? Oh, uh, army! Like, like from army. from your time uh, as a contractor. So as a contractor, from what you've seen. It, it started as top down. They said you're going to do this. It matters yeah. to us. Whether it be that person thought it mattered, or their headshed, or or the chain of command said this matters to you. 
so then they made it matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hey, this is what you care about now. Right, yeah. Yeah. But at that point, you know, you signed your life away. They tell you what matters to you. Sure. Pick, sure. Choose what you buy into. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of stuff. Now it's a government, just like we are. There's things they've invested time and money and resources into that we saw as an outsider. And it's like, that doesn't matter. And we understood that because we weren't part of that. I don't want to call it group think mentality, but that almost you have to believe in what you're doing mentality. Um, that we thought, you know, we're more important than this as far as like, can't you find the resources to keep us kind of a thing? But that wasn't, that's beyond, we were civilians, you know, we're not supposed to understand that. Do you think that there was also a better buy-in just because of the frequency that they actually had to perform? Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah, because I think that's one of the things that we run into is the department itself and a lot of departments here southeastern north carolina they're not your fdny's baltimore's chicago's right la where they don't see their deficiencies physically i'm not even talking about proficiencies as far as like skill sets but uh their deficiencies physically like their limitations often enough to where they would even think it to be a priority we've talked about this before that i mean we've worked with plenty of people that are not work we've seen plenty of people I'm not going to name anybody, but they're, it's in every department, the people that are good for one bottle, and then that's it. Yeah, sure. Um, and they see it as just like, yep, yeah, I mean, but that's that's me. That's what I'm good. Like, no. <laughs> like, you got way more you than that in you. In you should it, be striving yeah. to be better than that. Exactly. God forbid you actually ran more than one fire in one shift. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, and people – I think that's a lot of what we run into is people don't get the opportunity to see their deficiencies in a actual, I guess, quote-unquote tactical setting often enough to where they want to prioritize it. Sure. As um, far as hurdles, I mean, if you don't... I'm gonna, yeah, rock on, rock on. Something that me particular that I ran into is not only new to the fire service, but new to the area in general. And when someone who doesn't know me as an individual looks at me and goes, yeah, you have an impressive resume, but I don't know you. You don't know Wilmington. You don't know fire service, etc., etc." Until you know me and know that, like, yeah, it's cool that I have some letters and stuff, but that's not what I'm about. And I think that's a big hurdle for me is people have this expectation even before I've talked to them, shook their hands and said, hey, I'm Kevin. They already assume what I what I am. That's sure, sure. Well, it's the same battle myself yeah. and Ray have been fighting for years, man. They uh, they associate us with the health guys and everything that we do is we're head hunting and we're job hunting and all that kind of stuff. Or even worse, that we're just one dimensional and that's all that we care about. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that that is – to me, more of an inst- like I'm more than just somebody that's into you know phys- this is fun to me like oh, yeah. it's a part of my life it doesn't my life doesn't revolve around it I think it's definitely got great carryover into my profession and it's something that I'm more than willing to help anybody out with that wants the help and I think that's that's where I am currently at with it is um, I'm willing to help whoever wants the help but I'm not gonna sit there and force feed you and handhold for the sake of, you know, somebody just feeling better about themselves to say that, hey, they... Sure. If anybody sure. comes up to me, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. But, I mean, you'll get out what you put in. Sure, sure. Whereas in some places, it's, no, you're going to get everything out of this because we're telling you to. Right, yeah. right. I think it's a good point. Let's uh, let's take a break. When we come yeah. back, we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to dive in a little bit more into Kevin and uh, hit some beats. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit more <laughs> about this uh, human body movement and how it uh, pertains to the fire service as far as he's seen and experienced in his career. So, be right back. Word. Thanks for listening to the Fit for Duty podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, please email the host.